0: You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Bursault, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. In adults, a series of well established risk factors defines the metabolic syndrome. In young patients, the situation is less clear. The key for our kids, it seems, is to determine their risk for disease in adulthood and help them with prevention or management. How are we improving our capacity to do this? My guest is Dr. Julia Steinberger, Associate Professor of Pediatrics and the Duan Endowed Chair in Pediatric Cardiology at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She's also Director of the University's Pediatric Lipid Clinic. Dr. Steinberger, welcome to the show. Thank you. Dr. Steinberger, how do you go about explaining this concept to adults. Do they get what metabolic syndrome is or do they respond better to another explanation?
1: So I think the adults do understand what metabolic syndrome is. The difficulty is that there is no good definition for metabolic syndrome in children. So children are not just small adults. Although they have the same risk factors as adults have when they develop metabolic syndrome, but there is not a good definition and diagnosis for metabolic syndrome in a child.
0: Why can't we use the same things, the triglycerides, the HDL, the waste, the high blood pressure, and the sugar?
1: So the problem in children is that you don't have a good outcome measure. In adults, we know that metabolic syndrome is a precursor of early heart disease and diabetes. So, there is an outcome measure in the adult. There is disease that develops within a certain period of time that is usually within five to ten years from the diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. In children, we do not have a disease that develops during childhood as a consequence of the presence of these risk factors that you just named. And therefore, establishing this diagnosis in a child is a little more complicated. We don't know what the cutoff is for a child for normal and abnormal, keeping in mind the cutoff that would lead to disease. So the best we can do in a child is is work with national averages, with national percentiles that have been established, but really not a a a firm diagnostic cutoff value for these factors to lead to metabolic syndrome or heart disease or diabetes.
0: So you said in adults that there's a nice sequence of events that will follow, you know, maybe five, ten years later, if you have metabolic syndrome, you're more likely to have whatever, diabetes, a stroke, a heart attack. So if a seven-year-old child comes in and he's morbidly obese and has an abnormal fasting sugar, can't you say, you know, this kid's going to be diabetic in three years if we do nothing?
1: So we can say that if the child is morbidly obese and has an abnormal blood sugar, but if he has an abnormal blood sugar, he's already diabetic. So abnormal blood sugar in a child means a value of fasting sugar that is above what is, or that is at the the threshold of diabetes. So that child is already diabetic. So in that situation... You can say that this child who's morbidly obese and has an abnormal blood sugar is already diabetic, and I am sure that if he's not currently diabetic, he will be in a short period of time, whether it's one year or three years. It's hard to tell, but in a very short period of time. Now, the, the more common situation, though, is that the child walks in with obesity, but is not morbid obesity, but definitely obesity, with a slightly higher de- borderline, let's say, blood sugar, with borderline triglycerides and borderline blood pressure. And from our experience in longitudinal studies, we know that those are the children who will eventually develop metabolic syndrome and early diabetes and early heart attacks. But at that age, when they walk in with these borderline findings, it is difficult to call them yet metabolic syndrome because not all of them will develop metabolic syndrome. So, you know, it, it's not as clear-cut and as clean as it is in adults. You have a triglyceride value of greater than such and such, or your HDL value is lower than 40, and two other criteria, you, will have, you have metabolic syndrome.
0: So when these kids walk into your office, are they accompanied by equally large parents?
1: More often than not.
0: It would seem to me to be a very exasperating thing to go through all day with these patients and their parents trying to educate them when it may fall on deaf ears.
1: That is correct. And and uh, the situation with these children who are at risk, I don't even want to call them having metabolic syndrome, but they are clearly at high risk for early disease. The situation is that you have to have a very supportive family because obviously they cannot make the changes they need to make in their lifestyle on their own. And oftentimes when the family is not on board, we fail, and so does the child.
0: Are you seeing just enormous numbers of these kids coming through your doors lately?
1: You know, if you look at the prevalence of obesity in the United States, about a third of all children are overweight or obese today. So you can imagine that if you think of a setting where we see patients with abnormal lipids, patients with high blood pressure, patients who need weight management, which is part of our program, obviously we, will get, we get large numbers of these. And sometimes we are successful, especially with the lifestyle education. But I have to say that the majority of the cases are very difficult to treat. And in the majority of the cases, the compliance is very low.
0: So do you have any pearls of wisdom or tricks of the trade that you have used to increase the child's ability to change or the family's ability to change? Is there something that, you know, just sometimes works and you're not even sure why it works so well, but some words you've used?
1: You know, I don't have a magic bullet, but what we do focus on extensively is trying to bring it to the understanding of the child and the family that this is a disease waiting to happen. And oftentimes, you know, a picture is worth a, a thousand words and just showing them on the, on the tables, on the scale percentiles, where the child should be and where he or she is now makes more of an impression than than just explaining that this is an unhealthy situation. In addition, if you have some abnormal laboratory findings, such as an abnormal blood sugar, abnormal cholesterol, or high blood pressure, and if you have a family history of early heart disease or diabetes in family members, I think in those cases we're more successful because the family has already seen what disease means in, in young adults.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on Reach XM 160. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. My guest is Dr. Julia Steinberger, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She also directs the university's Pediatric Lipid Clinic. We're talking about metabolic syndrome in kids. Uh, Dr. Steinberger, what about fatty liver? Are you seeing a lot of that? And is that a way of kind of getting the patients to get a little more scared?
1: see in a number of patients who are extremely overweight and obese. We do see signs of fatty liver. I have to say that I don't think it makes a huge difference in the management. We're still dealing with with the same obstacles of, of having to implement lifestyle change, which is very difficult in these families.
0: You've been saying your child could develop cirrhosis in the next 20 years if you do nothing doesn't really elicit change.
1: I think what makes a bigger difference, if you have signs of disease already, mm-hmm. so some of these children have high blood pressure because of the obesity. Some of these children have abnormal blood sugar, which makes them already diabetic. They have some signs of insulin resistance, such as very high fasting insulins, which puts them at risk for early diabetes. And I think those are, those are words that, that resonate more strongly with these with these families.
0: Let's move on to some of the things that are being suggested by the societies out there. The American Heart Association says that in a fast food restaurant that parents should make sure their kids are asking for a whole wheat bun, which sounds great, but if they're having a large Coke with their whole wheat bun, it seems meaningless.
1: <laughs> yes, and yeah, this is not an all or nothing situation. And I agree with you that if they have a large coke with it, we haven't helped them a whole lot. But I think we have to take what we can and the results we can. And sometimes it's baby steps. And if they just get on board with eating whole wheat, as a first step. And the next step will be eliminating the high calorie drinks from their diet. I'm happier than if they just ignore everything and say, well, we can't get it all fixed. Therefore, let's not worry about the whole wheat.
0: How do you feel personally about starting a tax on sugary foods? Society has taxed tobacco, which has led to enormous costs on our society in disease. So why not go after sugar?
1: You know, sugar is a major culprit in the development of childhood obesity, and it's different types of sugar, but obviously the high fructose products and and the refined carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, Are there any other countries that you're aware of out there that are more aggressive than we are in terms of trying to control behavior and, and the ingestion of sugar?
1: I think there's better control, at least of the physical activity level in some other countries. And in Europe, there is much more emphasis on physical activity in youth than there is in the United States. There are some organizations in the United States which are working with schools and with the communities in general in increasing the levels of physical activity and eliminating high-sugar snacks and beverages from schools. But I think Europe is in a slightly better shape than we are.
0: And as a a local physician is there something I could do with the schools in my district to make some sort of impact?
1: Absolutely. If we could get rid of the high sugar uh, snacks and drinks from the vending machines in schools and make physical activity a mandatory daily activity in schools, that would be a huge service.
0: And you know, but then the kid comes home and when I was a child, I'm sure when you were a child, we played outside till till it got dark. And we are so afraid. I don't know why we're so afraid, but we won't let our kids play outside. And I think we need to work on that part of the equation, too.
1: Absolutely. So schools are only one arm. The other arm is the family environment, what you were just saying, uh, screen time and such with children. And, of course, there's the arm of the industry, which provides these high-sugar and high-refined carbohydrate snacks, and advertisements to children. And the fourth arm is the healthcare provider, who I strongly urge all of us to be aware of this problem, to discuss this problem with the families, even if we don't have a whole lot of time during the clinic visits, but at least bring it to the awareness of the family that there is a problem.
0: You know, it would be nice to see some statistics to show parents what the biggest threat to their child's health is. Is it playing outside at night and being abducted, which is an extremely low risk, versus their risk of going on to, you know, develop diabetes and early death as a result of not exercising? I'd, I'd like to see some of those statistics.
1: Well, I would say that the risk of violence in the street for the majority of our families is, is less than 1%, whereas we already know that the likelihood of, or, or at least the prevalence of overweight and obesity in children right now is 30%, of which at least, at least half of those children will develop other morbidities. So clearly at least 25 times the risk of playing outside.
0: Well that's good. That's a that's a powerful number. Thank you. Doctor Steinberger, what are you working on in terms of research with metabolic syndrome that might help change what's going on?
1: I am working on longitudinal studies in children and studies in families, two generations, parents and children, showing the levels of risk and how we can identify high risk families and in the longitudinal studies obviously following these risk factors in children and showing the development of metabolic syndrome and disease.
0: Is there anything else we can do as providers to encourage our our patients' parents? Does group therapy work? What else can we use? What else is in the armamentarium?
1: I think as providers, first of all we we have to be aware of the of this problem and bring it to the attention of the families. And we have to encourage them to do some simple things, such as, first and foremost, make sure that the child spends at least an hour a day in moderate physical activity. And that could be a combination of what happens at school and what happens outside of the school activities, but that would be the minimum that I would recommend. And beyond that, really, is the healthy choices. It's not to say that children cannot go to parties and, and spend time with friends and, and eat sweets, but there are healthy choices and there's moderation in all these. And I think that's the easiest approach that would work probably for most, most families if they were willing to, to actually take on some project of improving, improving the health.
0: Well, on that note, Dr. Julia Steinberger, it was a pleasure having you on Lipid Illuminations today.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
0: My guest was Dr. Julia Steinberger, and she is the Associate Professor of Pediatrics and the Duan Endowed Chair in Pediatric Cardiology at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She also directs the university's Pediatric Lipid Clinic. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at reachmd.com, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.